Hey, this is nice. We're back together again. Good to We're see here. you, Ollie. We've made the, it. Um, the first conversation post-Trump, officially yes. post-Trump. Hurrah, lots to catch up on. So if you're joining us on the podcast, thank you so much. And uh, we're just going to dive right in. Let's do it. So, uh, your little update just now is very helpful. Would you like to tell me again what, what it is? Remind you of happening? what's been going on. Well, yes. I was saying that it's, we've had what feels like a degree of normalcy from the States. You know, we haven't got this constant drama on Twitter or press conferences or rallies. You know, it's the grown ups are back in the room. Um, so, that's been nice. And I'm sure there'll be something. But, you know, to have two weeks of you know, boring press conferences. It's, it's beautiful. I, I like boring, you know? <laughs> know. And, and sometimes saying, I don't know, it's it's wonderful, as opposed to being on the offensive all the time and acknowledging yes. that, you know, that what's said won't please everybody, but that's okay. You know, it's that's, that's democracy. Yeah. Um, in the UK, obviously our vaccination is a, um, could be classed as a su success when you look at how, other countries are doing. I know it's hard to judge until it's it's over and we know where we are and, you know, it carries on going to plan. But so far, they seem to be doing a relatively good job. Um, we've had our first dispute with the EU and that's one that tests one's views on the EU and tests one's views on the UK and where sometimes you have to go, oh, yeah, actually, we don't have to be all one side or all the other. We can have views on things and say actually do you know on this one the eu was probably in the wrong and they acknowledge <laughs> one thing the eu did though was acknowledge it very quickly and reversed what they did and uh, and so uh so yeah so it's it's been it's been it's been a nice couple of weeks and a strange couple of weeks and and yeah it's still full lockdown in the uk yeah although it doesn't the seem like it if you go outside for more than two minutes no, it doesn't, does it? And the children are still home from school. Yeah. It's harder on the parents than anybody else, I, I think. think. Yeah, I think it's a mixture. But I've now, because my eldest has gone into senior school, so overall, and and my two children were in different schools in primary school, so I've I've seen kind of three different schools' version of homeschooling. And um, I think it, it does depend school by school by school. And I, I was talking to another parent yesterday um, who who said that other schools that she knows are doing so much more than, than one of my kids' schools. So I think it really is school dependent on, on how, honestly, how tech savvy they are and how capable they are of doing live lessons, mm. excuse me, via Zoom or via um, whatever method. Um, and it's fair to say I'm doing a lot of the schooling. So, <laughs> if that tells you how how um, how uh, how well one of the schools is doing in the technical department, they're not doing very well at all. So, mm. it's a full time job, but it's it is it yeah. really is. I've I mean, my daughter's there. She's having to compete with two different age groups, obviously, and she's get so much work in they have so many tasks to do 
and um, they have to complete them daily because otherwise they've got a backlog. Yeah. And the little one is really kicking against it now and she doesn't want to cooperate. So luckily that they've let her go back into school for three days a week because she was really falling behind and yeah. she really needed the school environment to get her to do the tasks. And at home, she's just belligerent. So um, my daughter just needed that time. Of course, she's tr still working. So of it's hell. It's really difficult. Well, I've been but... lucky because I work three nights a week over the weekend. So I work Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night. So obviously that meant I was going from homeschooling during the week, finishing at three o'clock on Friday, getting dinner, doing all those bits and then getting a couple of hours of sleep and going to work, doing the three night shifts, finishing seven o'clock on a Monday and then coming back and then eight o'clock, getting all the homeschooling stuff ready for the week and and all of that. So luckily my my work i've been able to take like one day holiday a week so i've been taking sundays off so at least i can sleep mm. sunday night uh mm. and they've just put me on um part-time furlough mm -hmm. so i'm working two days a week and furloughed for the sunday which means that they yeah. can give other people their contracted hours yes and i can have every sunday off and uh and have it at 80 percent pay so yeah that's working well for the moment but um oh, that's but yeah good. There's not much resting space in between. Uh, there isn't kind of work and thing. It all blends very into hard. One. And Zara um, came. I feel Zara sorry for came. anybody who's doing it at the same time, who's trying to work and teach. Yeah. At, you know, yeah. because working hours are Monday to Friday, I, I I hold my hat up to them. Well, normally, I mean, in the old days, my daughter and I worked together in the same office, and we can social distance, fortunately. And she's been working from home because she got the children, but she had to do some filing. So she needed to come to the office. So she came up on a Saturday. So they left the kids at home with their dad, came to the office. So I went to the office and took some banana bread and a flask of tea to share because I never get any time with her now, ever. No, and um, we literally ran out of things to say after the first 30 seconds because there's nothing happening in our lives. <laughs> so what have you been doing? <laughs> nothing, like nothing. I've been told. <laughs> What are yes. you? Nothing, <laughs> no, like I've been told. There's no okay. gossip. There's no nothing. So uh, we, we had a bit of a giggle about that. But um, we did find things to talk about, as you know, mother and daughter always will. But um, I wonder when was... the hairdressers open, how the conversations go. Have you been anywhere nice recently? No. OK. That's the staple <laughs> of hairdresser conversations has been, uh, yes. been robbed of them, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, don't mention hairdressers. I'm freaking out about my hair. I just, on at the moment, I would let a passing traveller cut my hair. I'm that desperate. Really? I hey, really you know would. What? So far, so I cut my own hair anyway. Number two, all over yes. with clippers. Nice and Johnny easy. Johnny does, yeah. I've so far cut both of my girls' hair three times. Wow. And um, their mum's hair. Even she said, Ollie, can you cut my hair for me? I'm like, yeah, of course, I can do it. It's fine. <laughs> So I've given her hair a trim as well. So I'm a yeah. I would I'm a not teacher, let hairdresser, chef. <laughs> I've, I tell you what, my vacation. I would if not nothing let... else, my vacational skills have gone through the roof throughout this time. <laughs> I would not let Johnny cut my hair, even though he's a sculptor. I would not let him cut my hair. <laughs> when he comes to you with a scout, with a uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a big sharp knife yes. for sculpting, you know, probably <laughs> probably best not to let him do it. No, I wouldn't, but I am getting really screaming desperate. I thought there's a, definitely a job opportunity for somebody. If they had a van 
and they could come up in the yard and have really uh, ventilated space and just sit you down with your mask on and do your hair and drive on to the next house. If you could sit outside (laughs) the van and then these rubber gloves come out of the side of the van. (laughs) He can can do it from inside the van, no problem. He doesn't have to see you. Almost like some sort of nuclear uh, reactor (laughs) kind of thing going on. Oh, dear. Honestly, never mind. Nobody's seeing me, so what the hell? (laughs) Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. If you go out, you can put a hat on still. Yeah, hat on, mask on. This weather as well, it's been freezing, so the mask has actually been quite comfortable wearing it to keep warm. It has, although I I was out, I think I was doing a shop the other day, and I was out with, uh, and I had my mask on, because whenever I'm in the high street, I always wear my mask, because you're still around lots of people and stuff. Mm. So I had my mask on, I had my hat on, and I had my coat kind of done up to my chin because it was cold. And I looked, and I thought, I look like I'm about to go and burgle somewhere, <laughs> right? I, <laughs> you know, a year ago, I would have been stopped and asked to account for myself and searched yes. to make sure I didn't have any tools on me to, you know, yes. go and equipped. And, yes. uh, and now it's uh, it's perfectly normal, you know? It does make me wonder about the way the normalisation of things like that, literally everybody is wearing a mask. In you see the most improbable people managing to wear a mask. Yeah. And you think, well, isn't it odd? It's just a very odd thing that there's this, like, whole of the population suddenly have a new trick, like wearing seatbelts. Suddenly, mandatory things happen. I think for me, where where the biggest change, or the biggest change I think will will take a long time to undo, is if you are walking down the street, it's become normal to move out of people's way and to avoid people and to give everybody space. And I wonder how that's going to affect society. And and certainly I think about, again, I think about my two girls and, and kids in general, that they're kind of growing up. They've had a year of their lives, which is like 10% of their lives for, yes. you know, if, if you're 10 years old. Yes. They've had that much of their lives where their natural instinct now is to avoid people and to keep out of people's way and not be near people. And I wonder what the long-term effect of that is. Because mm. first of all, we had to all kind of go, oh, we'll move out of the way. And it was almost a joke because you pass somebody, mm. you know, mm. moving around and dancing. But now it's just natural. You just walk past people and... Whereas before we kind of it was natural to walk past people and not look at them in the eye. Mm. I think now we look at oh certainly I look at people more now in the eye, but only to make sure that they've clocked me and we're all keeping distance. You know, it's it's yeah. a strange how we interact with strangers on the street yeah. have dramatically changed. And I wonder what the, the long term effects of that that are. Well, I think I was saying to my sister the other day that um I sh- I'm sure there's gonna be like the equivalent to the boomer generation after this where there's going to be a lot of intermixing and intermingling because people will be desperate to get back to, you know, (laughs) I'm desperate to get out and find somebody and get up close and comfortable with somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there might be that sort of element of it. But with youngsters, I I don't know how... uh, Perhaps they'll just get back to normal and be, uh, you know... I I think eventually it'll be fine. I, I just think that when we're, you know when there is a degree of normalcy. I, I just wonder how long it will take for some of the the habits that we've been in for the last year mm. to to reverse themselves. And maybe they yeah. don't have to, you know. I think maybe we will every winter wear a mask indoors because 
when you take away um, COVID deaths, flu deaths have actually gone down because we've been taking all these measures. Mm. The flu total for the year has has dropped, mm. thankfully, because hospitals are full of COVID patients. But because of the mitigations, there because of the there's mitigation. no yes. So whereas you had all of these kind of sceptics, or I don't like to use the word sceptics, because I think when you're a sceptic, you're sceptical of something, so you look for the evidence and then you come to a truth. <laughs> these, mm. are, these aren't these are sceptics, these are people that just don't want to believe it and will not look at the evidence that goes against what they want. So that's not true scepticism. But the people that deny COVID or deny its effects or deny, you know, what we have to do, one of the things they always said was, but, you know, X amount of people die every year from the flu and we don't do all this. Well, maybe we're proving that, OK, maybe maybe not lockdowns, but maybe we should take more efforts to have hand sanitizer around when we're in shops and touching things and wearing mm. masks when we're in close proximity to people in, in the colder months where flu is prevalent. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, yeah, there are these many people dying. Maybe we should do something more about that. You know, it's, mm. we could save lives. Mm. Well, there's this um, debate over the excess deaths and the the numbers of COVID-related deaths is like half and then you've got half again of excess deaths mm. not COVID-related, which could be because, I think we might have said it before, people die at home, don't ever get diagnosed, don't ever get tested mm. because of covid they don't go because they don't want to go and they end up dying at home alone, which is awful, but could account for the fact why they're not COVID deaths. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's all these other related problems and issues as with, with, with the lockdown as well. I'm not denying that the lockdown is extremely difficult. Yeah. And I personally know of three suicides, oh, really? very tragically, very tragic because of the lockdown, just young men who were unable to feel. You don't know, though, how much of that was being already part of their psyche and this was the the straw that broke the camel's back type of thing and that their path may have led them in that direction anyway because of, they all had a very sketchy history of um, of very bad mental health issues and I, I could see it being the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't know many cases, so I can't talk to them. But, but I think you would have to be in a certain place when lockdown happened or during lockdown for that extra pressure. And and I can get, you know, having suffered from depression and, and anxiety and and quite badly at times, I can understand how if this had all come about at a time when I was at my lowest, how I would have thought some dark thoughts, even if I mm. hadn't reacted on them. Mm. I think that the thing that frustrates me is there's lots of people who are talking about suicide and the mental health aspect as a reason to not be saving lives from COVID and, and trying to protect the hospitals, you know, that saying we should mm. open up because of... But these are people that have never mentioned mental health before. And these are people that have cheered on austerity, that have, you know, has seen mental health provision in this country slashed to bare bones. Mm. 
Um, and certainly, you know, when people talk again, school should open for the mental health of the children. Now, I agree with that. You know, I've got two children. I see the effect it has on them not seeing their friends every day and not mm. not being in that class environment. So I do see it. And it's, you know, it's not to say that because I agree they should be homeschooling that I don't think that there's an effect. No, I, I see there's effect, but I also understand they have to homeschool. You know, it, it's possible to hold both of those positions. But mm. when... I tried to access children's mental health provision two years ago for one of my daughters. It took, unless they were in grave danger, like of, of suicidal thoughts, it was a charity that dealt with it. So it was all done by charity, not the NHS. And it took months, it took about three months. So, where were all these people concerned about children's mental health then, before the mm -hmm. pandemic? Mm -hmm. Where are all these people concerned about suicide rates before the pandemic? Now, I'm not, you know, this isn't to say that they're, they don't care about it now. But most of the problems we're seeing now are partly caused by COVID, but also the lack of provision through 10 years of cuts in mental health services mm. means that when people need help the, ho the whole point of the nhs is there and to be free at the point of need mm. so when you need it it's there and you don't have to worry about whether you can afford it because not that it's free but we all pay taxes and you know it goes into the pot and that mm. that's what pays for it and at the point of need the mental health provision has not been there mm. So I'll listen to Tory MPs talking about children's mental health. I'll listen to their followers talk about mental health for children and for adults. But when the time comes that we get past this pandemic and decisions have to be made about how we pay some of the money back that we've had to borrow, I'll just be interested to see where their concerns are Yeah. when they have to put their, their, their votes where their mouths are. Because as I say, it's you know, it's you can't you can't spend ten years cheering austerity and then say, Well, we can't do that because of the mental health of the children. No, you've got to make sure the provision's there. Yeah. Well, it's the same with the young the young men going to crime or the young girls going to crime because they took away all the uh you know, the youth the youth provisions in austerity as well. So there wasn't any um fallback position for for youth to have support during that special time of life you know when you could be easily led astray and the money wasn't wasn't there for that and it was always the Tory government all the time wasn't yeah. it and uh, here we are stuck with this still a Tory government and uh, it is what it is we just have it, to it's I, I think the it's it's the same process that led to the um, school meals debacle and debate because they were kind of saying well you know we shouldn't have to feed people at this time and and you know like during christmas holidays they wouldn't normally get free school meals so why should we provide for it now and, and voting against it and then changing their minds but initially that was the argument it said yeah but why are we in a position 
where families who work, most of them work, so it's not layabouts. I know that they, they, they like to paint it as, you know, layabouts or single mothers because we always have to blame somebody or something that we see as different. But they... We've had cuts and cuts and cuts. We, in real terms, cost of living goes up and wages haven't risen as the same. And over 10 years of austerity, the cost of living against the real wages, most people are earning less in real terms. Mm. When two parents are working and yet still need help because because no matter what, you know, they're doing everything right and still can't afford things. Mm. And then we go, yeah, but we, you know. And then often it was it was often those families that were furloughed as well. So those mm. that can't afford to take any cut, yes, they're getting paid eighty percent. But if you couldn't afford to lose twenty percent, if you were struggling on a hundred percent of your wage, you're going to struggle mm. even more on eighty percent of your wage. Yeah. And this all comes down to a, a society that's been built where those at the bottom who have the least are the ones that get hurt the most. And that happened yeah. through austerity, and that was increased through austerity. And those that have the most lose the least. Yeah. And I think statistically, when they've looked at it, those that have the most are the ones that have earned the most and that have come better off out of the other side of the um, of this pandemic. So yeah. I think I think it's what the pandemic's done to kind of tie all of that together, be it mental health provision, be it the, the crisis that we've seen in the NHS and the fact that we've had to go in lockdown because we haven't had all of the things in the NHS to be able to cope properly. It's why we had the PPE problem at the very beginning. When we look at social inequality, when we look at um, education and even just homeschooling, you know, that being able to give children provisions it's all right saying you have to homeschool but if they haven't got internet or things like that and again not because they're layabouts just because of the way society is and that's the position yeah. they're in with all of that going on all of that's been highlighted to the problems we have in society and i hope i don't know how much optimism i have but i hope that again once the pandemic side of things has gone that we can start when we go back and look at the response to the pandemic, we also look at the fundamental issues that were there before the pandemic that meant that when the pandemic came, it was a lot worse for some people and more worse than mm. it was for others. Mm. Definitely. Well, interesting analysis that'll be because the Tories, the Conservatives, have had to use socialist notions to support everyone through this situation yeah. and even down to the drilling down to the to the related issues about children's school dinners and things like that you know that was forced upon them by the well lovely what's his name marcus, marcus rashford rashford um campaigning to say, you know, you might be a Tory, but you still have to do these these socialist things because you have a responsibility. It's scary that they don't do these things out of conscience. They do it out of publicity. Oh, yeah. They didn't do it because they thought it was the right thing to do. They did it because the backlash, because somebody famous with a lot of followers 
and, and that's to take nothing away from Marcus Rashford. I think, you know, if he hadn't done what he'd done, I, I don't think their conscience would have prevailed. And certainly when you saw a lot of the defence of the policy. Um, it, it's funny, I, I was reading, I can't remember where I saw this quote, but it was about uh, a Brexit MEP who has a business that, that relies on fishing or is to do with fishing is asking for government subsidies because of the impact that Brexit's had on fisheries. And somebody, as well as all the irony around that, somebody made the brilliant... Yeah. Because obviously a Brexiteer or somebody from the Brexit party would be more right-wing and so less socialist. Yeah. There was the brilliant quote of, everybody's a socialist in a crisis. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that kind of sums it up because when people need help from the state, and let's be honest, it's not the state that's giving the help. We pay taxes. It's part of the agreement. We all pay our fair... Well, some of us pay our fair share of taxes, but we all pay taxes. Mm. And then that money is used to look after everybody. And sometimes we might need it. Sometimes we m might not need it. Mm. I think for the vast majority of people, it actually works out we all take more out of the system than we ever put in. Mm. Because most of the money comes in through companies and from the very wealthiest mm. that actually pay. Um yeah, it's yeah. So it's this idea of you know I pay my taxes and it shouldn't have to go to whoever. Well, no, we all through using the NHS, education, um, you know, the things that happen, bin collections, everything. We all take more out than we put in. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I did like that. Everyone's a socialist in a crisis, and <laughs> you know when you talk about company bailouts and bank bailouts, that was a very socialist. Yeah. Virgin on communism, that, you know, the bailing out of the bank yeah. and taking ownership of the banks, the taking ownership was, was very close to communism. Yeah. Um, other than the fact of selling it back. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so well, it seems that socialism is often the savior of capitalism. Well, it is indeed. It's the savior of people because when I was um, forced into a situation where I was a single parent and I had to have social benefits to help me with my two children mm. and housing and stuff. And that was the period of time in my life when I was in a crisis and I required support to help me through that period of time. And then I went to university and changed from having social support to having a education grant to get me through uh, or loans to get me through my university. Um, and I had lodgers in every square inch of my house <laughs> mm -hmm. to pay to get money through that period. But in my whole life, that was the one time when I needed to say, reach out and ask for help and support me. And the rest of my life, I've paid for my taxes and put everything in. And, um, you know, that's what's needed is is to help people through those moments when when they, you know, and that's a great point because I think often the, the 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 picture that's painted is somebody's on benefit they want it for life or somebody's on benefits they're scrounging and actually no do you know what it is a lot of people go on benefits when they need it but if we can help people when they're in their moment of need and we can as you say you know give them an education or we can you know just help them to pay their rent for a couple of months so that they can concentrate on going back to work or concentrate on finding a job or whatever it is if mm. we can help people for that six months one year two years mm. and we stop them falling to the very 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 bottom mm. you act you, you act as a bridge 
to help them be able to start a business, to be able to get a better education, to be able to get a better job and start paying back and paying into the system again mm, mm. and becoming, I hate the, 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 the phrase, you know, productive member of society, but, <laughs> but, but that notion of, you know, they are, they're contributing and they're doing their bit. Yeah. Whereas if we kind of just give people the bare minimum when they're at their point of need, just the bare minimum, mm. people will get stuck in that because they can never, they never have yeah. the resource to kind of push forward. And so mm. the idea that we should never help people or if people, you know. Well, yeah. You only have to go back one generation, my mother's generation. She, she there was no social security benefit then. And she stayed in an unhappy marriage for 16 years because there was no alternative and it was an abusive relationship. And there were all sorts of horrible things happening in that situation that she couldn't change because she had no financial support for her two children, me and my sister. And so eventually, one day it got too much and she literally pushed us all into the back of a van no warning and took us to my granddad's house which was about 10 miles away from my home Whitchurch actually you probably know it and yeah and um we had a very bare bones existence there because she had to work bless her and granddad gave us a roof over our heads but without him I don't know what the alternative would have been for us. So that was the one generation back with no social security. And there were all sorts of horrible things which happened one generation back from me. And, you know, unthinkable things which were were um, happening to my mother because the, the laws were so um, unequal back then. So we've moved forward. We've come forward with equal you know hopefully getting a bit more equilibrium and and services to protect you know i'd hate to think that um children would have to go through that deprivation i know they are still going through deprivation but one hopes that there's enough there to support people just to get them through and school dinners and things like that they should have it you know they should have they should have nourishment to help them with their education and my daughter my granddaughter says She'd rather go into school because she gets a hot cooked dinner. And it's not because my daughter can't afford to give her a cooked dinner. It's because she hasn't got time because she's got two children and a job and she's homeschooling. She can't cook them dinner and then cook them tea, you know. So she has to have a snacky snack lunch at home. And she says, I'd like to go to school because then I can have a hot dinner. My heart's (laughs) just like, oh, God. (laughs) So harsh. So, um. It's funny, Every generation. We, we always have to be careful that the further we move away from things, the easier it is to slip back into them. So the further we move away from the Second World War and fascism that, that was dominant in Europe at that time, the easier it's seeming at the moment for people to slip back into fascism of one type or another. Mm. And what you're saying there, you know, that story of the generation before you, that as we get further from that, I think there are more and more people now that would be quite happy to go back to that because they don't know what that was or they don't remember or they weren't alive or, mm. or mm. you know, or it's a distant memory and they have false memories about what that was. You know, when we talk about 
going back to as it was and that whole make America great again and that whole idea of, you know, even leaving the EU was part of let's go back to as it was before, you know, in the 70s. And and I think, yeah, it's a big... Um, Oops, sorry. It's, it's a big um, danger of time passing. Ah, there you are. I lost you for a second. Yes, I did. I lost you for a second. I I didn't catch much of that. You might have to repeat that for me. You'll, you'll have to listen on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put in my responses then when <laughs> on the podcast. You didn't really need a response. It's it, it, it gathers it up more... all its uh, all of your conversation and sends it to me in one big deluge of you noise. Just have it. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, so so I, I yeah, I think it's important that we don't forget the lessons of the past, even okay. even when they become not lived memories for for most people. Yes, you you are right, and and you know as as a grandmother, I don't want to go on to my grandchildren about how lucky they are and all of that because we had that said to us when we were everywhere. Every generation gets that, you know. But uh, I think thing. you are right. It's a right. good thing that they're better off than than you were, and it's it's a good thing that my children, you know, are slightly better off than I was, and that's called yes. progress. We should all be aiming for that, not beating people over the head for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope you're right about the um, outcome of this pandemic will force people to look at the inequalities in society, you know, and hopefully we can get some more levelling up. But it's very interesting processes because there's all this devolution question now which is raising its head because of the uh, pandemic and um it's very interesting to see how that's going to go and there's now there's bubbling and we probably can't discuss it today but the bubbling under of problems in with with ireland the island of ireland now um i'm worried about that because that is a problem coming out of the uh the brexit that is a problem there's a beautiful irony that people who have spent the last four or five years telling us, no, we need sovereignty. We, we're OK as a country. We can get on with this on our own. We don't need to work with it. We don't need Brussels telling us what to do. We don't need all of these things. And now saying, no, we're better off together. We're better off as a group of countries being run by Westminster. Yes. and Westminster. isn't it? It's, it because it's, oh. it's the, the, the arguments are the to you know they have to take total opposite views of what they were saying for the last four years yes to make that equivalent and i think the only difference is and it doesn't help is that when you talk about who rules who we can say that brussels was ruling us but actually we were at the table and we had a strong say in the eu we had a you know we got all of the provisions we wanted we didn't have to join the eu we didn't have to um sign up to a lot of like working time um directive or, or we we negotiated that we could have the opt-out for individuals all of these things that we didn't have to take part in because we had such a big voice in europe we were one of the leading nations you know it wasn't mm. france and germany telling us what to do it was france germany and the uk were part of that whereas mm. i think in scotland they don't have that much of a an influence in Westminster politics, which leads to, you know, things like Brexit happening without Scotland really having its voice heard. Yeah. So, 
So I think they're actually in a worse position, if you like, as in a union than we were as part of the EU. But people will be arguing against it, saying no. It's um, it's strange. Yeah. I'm sure we'll touch on that in the next few months. Yes, as that definitely, up. definitely. Well, I think um, we can't go deep into anything really the rest of this podcast but um i i seem to have taken a bit of an emotional holiday from the united states politics since yeah. biden took over and and the fact that trump isn't tweeting every 4 seconds and the fact that the adults are now in charge it just feels right to be able to just have a bit of a relax and i hope that my friends in america have been able to have a bit of a relax but I know it hasn't gone away I know none of the issues have gone away and I know that there are still many many um volatile issues that will be will be facing but I have taken a bit of a little bit of a holiday from American politics I th yeah I, th <laughs> I think all, all the problems that cause Trumpism are still there I think yes but, but and they will raise their head again but I think we're in this kind of almost a reset moment of, you know, no matter what side, whether you're on the far right, far left, or somewhere healthily in between, you know, in the centre, I think um, I think everybody's going, right, okay, where are, everyone's reassessing and just taking that step back, and I think that just calms it all a little bit. And, you know, the impeachment trial is going to start in a week or so, or two weeks, and so mm -hmm. there's going to be, you know, Trump's back in the headlines again and everything else. I said, but, but you're right, this this moment of, calm and with brexit you know there's been a few things but there's this kind of okay things are starting to happen but at the moment it's all just calm and and, and yeah and so all we have to worry about now is a global pandemic yes well that's right <laughs> and and very badly managed global pandemic pandemic and i i spoke to my lovely aged uh friend who said that oh bless him boris he's doing his best and i said well yes but then you see other countries like Jacinda Ahern over there in New Zealand and she's only had 25 deaths. I know she's only got a population of six and a half million or something, but relative relative to our population per capita, that is a massive difference. And um, she took initiative from the start, closed her borders, dealt with it sharply. We didn't even close our borders. I've got a friend who came back from Iran in in last year in february or march and was just walked in and we everybody knew that iran was exploding with covid over there you know and, again, and there was nothing it's one of those ironies that the people for the last four years been telling us we need to control our borders i seem so unwilling to control our bloody borders at the moment we need them to do it <laughs> <laughs> i just you, you couldn't make it up i think you could put me in charge of a, a nuclear power station and then there could be a nuclear leak. And I could try my best, genuinely try my best, with all of the intention of stopping that nuclear link. Yeah. But if I'm not qualified for the job, it doesn't matter if I'm trying my best. Trying my best isn't going to stop the fact that there's nuclear <laughs> fallout happening. And it's the yeah. same thing. I'm sure Boris is trying his best. I, actually, I, I... I don't think his best is good enough. His best isn't good enough, and, and I guess you have to agree on what it is he's trying to do. 
is he trying his best to totally stop the pandemic and save as many lives as possible? Or is he trying his best to balance the economy and the pandemic? Or is he trying his best to make sure his party keep votes? Or is he trying his best to make sure he stays in a job? I think he's probably failing at every single one of those. But, you know, yeah. trying his best. We we can all try think, our best at uh, different things. It doesn't mean that yes. our best is good enough. And that's okay. But you have to admit it when your best isn't good enough, and that's not in his nature. I think the 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 main thing he's doing is trying to keep his voters on side all the time. Not even his and voters. I think he's... just his backbenchers. I think he's he's not even interested in keeping the party in power. He's interested in Boris Johnson being a prime minister, and to do that, he mm. needs to appease his backbenchers. What you know, and I think that's um, yeah. That's who he's playing to. He's playing to a few people. You know, the European Research Group have now pretty much disbanded, who did no research on Europe, who were just anti-Europe, and have now become the COVID mm. response group or something like that, Reco the COVID recovery group. And again, they're not about yeah. looking at what's the best thing to help the country recover from COVID. They're about anti-lockdown, anti, you know, all of that kind of thing. Oh. But they give themselves a name and that somehow gives them credibility. But hey, again, that's probably for for another day yes yes indeed well we'll call it a day we've had our good uh our good uh, eventing of our we've our need our to uh, address the issues <laughs> yeah. it's always good to uh, have a have a big old uh banter about the this the world that we're in absolutely and find out where we've got up to in this passage of very turbulent times that we're living in and um, I hope that that America gets its COVID controlled, and I hope we do too. Cause I hope we're we very get ours controlled as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we're very similar in in relatively speaking to their circumstances. So, so yes, let's hope we all see an end to this desperate situation, and um, manage to. You look like you've had a full recovery from your COVID. I get occasional bits of fatigue where it just hits me. Um, but other than that, yeah, I I, I managed to complete mm. a half marathon distance on Sunday, just gone. So I managed to run for 13 point whatever miles it is. And with, wow, with no brilliant. other than a few aching legs, no real side effects. So yes. um, so hopefully yes. the worst of it's worst of it's past. And yeah, yeah, keep an eye oh, on it. Oh, well but, yeah. done. Good. To, good to hear that. And uh, yeah, good luck with the homeschooling and your lovely daughters. And um, I hope that we will manage to fit in. Maybe next week we can have another catch up and uh, see see how things are going. See where um, we are. See if we can open our eyes to the uh, American politics once again. So uh, lovely to talk to you, Ollie. Thanks for and being here you. if you listened on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I look forward to next time. Bye for now. Speak soon. Bye.